Praise the Lord this morning. Praise the Lord. Giving all honor, all glory, and all the praise to our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Congratulations, Pastor Chris, Sister Darina. God bless you. Stuck it out. <laughs> That's right. You know all the praise go there. Amen. And I'm glad that Strong Tower, I mean, I congratulate you that you are not like the church at Sardis. They had a name, they were alive, but they were dead. I'm a witness today that Strong Tower is living up to its name. Amen? Amen. And in these days and times, we need youthful churches. There are churches all over, but there are not a lot of useful churches. And we shall talk about some reasons why today. Today, I want you to consider with me from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Revelation, chapter 2. verse 18 through verse 29, and the scripture reads as follows. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write these things, says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works. Love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her in great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I give to each one according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessels. I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear 
what the Spirit says to the churches. Our eternal God and our gracious Father in heaven, we assemble ourselves together in bowing in your presence now and opening your word, desiring that you would speak clearly and authoritatively to this gathered group of people. That indeed, Father, you might work the work that only you can do in bringing about a clearer vision of our purpose and the reason you have saved us out of darkness and caused us to live as your sons and daughters in the marvelous light. We ask your favor upon this preacher that once again you might use me to speak in accordance to the oracles you've given unto us. I will be careful, Father, to give you all the praise and to give you all the honor and to give you all the glory, for we ask it in the matchless name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Today I want to share with you a message that I have entitled The Church's Affair with Jezebel. The Church's Affair with Jezebel. Now, the Church of Jesus Christ is in a war in this world. You must understand that there are enemies of the church that would destroy the church and reduce it to rubble so that it would have no efficacy in the affairs of life in the world. And we come to a text today that we are reminded that sometimes the enemy is sitting right in our pew. That many of you understand that the devil is our enemy, and we understand that um, demons are our enemies, and we understand that the world system is our enemy. We understand all of that, and many times we are lulled into thinking that the war is out there, that the enemy is out there. But today I want to set forth to you an urgent appeal to you that the enemy for which we must be mindful of is the enemy that sits in our church the enemy that is in our pulpit and the enemy that is in our boards, the enemy is right in the house. You see, when we look at uh, what's happening in the world, it looks like we're losing sometimes. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, that, that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. And yet, the natural eye sees things and makes us think that we're losing. But we appear to be losing because what you see as a church is not always filled with God's people. And so failure of the house, failure of the ministry many times is because there is a flaw in the house. That we are not dealing with the reality of what's inside. We look past a lot of stuff. We're tolerant a lot of stuff. We, we get into this inclusivism and all this other stuff. And the real truth of the matter is reason churches fail and fall are because it's things that are not right in the church. There are three things I want you to consider with me today in the time that I have remaining. First, I want to talk to you about Jesus confronts the church with the truth about himself. Secondly, Jesus confronts the church or condemns the church with the truth about its own sin. That's right. And thirdly, he comforts 
the church in dealing with a reward that he has promised unto them. Three, three points. I'm on the clock, so I'm moving. Now, see, I didn't get that take your time word. I want to know who, who's usurping the pastor's authority around here. All right, we got, we, got, we got the word official, amen. In verses 18 and verse 19, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write these things, says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. He says, I know your works. The first thing I want you to consider with me is that Jesus reveals himself to this church for who he really is. In fact, if you are a, a student of, of Revelation, you'll know that in these seven churches, for every church that's, that he talks to, he's always laying out his resume. He's always laying out his credentials, his divine credentials, so that the church would understand that it's just no slap-happy Joe talking, that this is God the Son talking. And so he lays out these, these, these credentials, because you see, the book of Revelation many times, people are looking at it because they think that the Bible, the book of Revelation is limited to just revealing things about the future. But the truth be known, the revelation is not simply about the future. The revelation is a revelation of Jesus. Amen. That you see Jesus in the book of Revelation like he's never been seen before. You see, you and I will never deal with the gospel of Jesus again. We will never see the lowly carpenter in that role again. He did it one time to take care of business for all time. So the next time we deal with him face to face, the next time the world deals with him, they will deal with him as, as king, as lord, and as judge. And the revelation is giving you a picture of the resurrected Jesus and all of his power and all of his authority. And he is to be lifted up and every church must understand that it's not belonging to men, but it's belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so every church that he comes in contact with, everyone he, he confronts, he brings about his credentials so that the church will not forget who he is and they will look up to him for being the true owner of the church. And so, we, for, so before he deals with their sin, and now I'm going to take a moment to do what Jesus did. Jesus took a moment to camp on his credentials so that people would know who he is. He, he starts off clearly by saying, I am the son of God. That is important. I like to say the other way, he is God the son. And because you see, sometimes if you're not learned, you might miss that whole issue of what he's saying. The, the term son of God is a term denoting his, his deity. He is saying to this church that I am God. That who is confronting you now is God. So that it will be a matter of my unquestionable deity. I was God from the beginning and I'm God today and I shall be God forevermore. Amen. There was never a time that the son of God did not exist. And so he confronts this church so they would have an unquestionable attitude about his deity. Amen. Also an undeniability concerning his authority. Amen. Amen. How many of you know that Jesus doesn't play? <laughs> now, you see, Revelation lets you see Jesus as he is. But you see this 
contemporary man's mindset in these modern churches is that Jesus is my friend. He's my buddy. It's in vogue for me to use his name but not live according to his commandments. And so he lays out these credentials so there will be an unquestionable deity established. Undeniable authority. But then he goes on to talk about having this undisputable scrutiny. I see everything and I know everything. And that there's nothing about you that will escape me. And that is significant because I'm coming to you letting you know that as a judge, I see everything. That there's no deuce copping, plea bargaining, there is no undercover, I see it for what it is. So that when he establishes that, it causes us to have a realization that we need to be true of Jesus because there's no way we can lie to him and get away with it. And so the unquestionable deity and the undeniable authority and, and, the, and, and the undisputable scrutiny. And then he lays out the, the last aspect of it is what I call the, the uh, inescapable accountability. You see, the Christian life, yeah, you saved by grace, but you're going to stand before Jesus and give an account for what you did with that saved life. That he did not save you, he did not save me for us to play games, to play church, to be mechanical religious people. That every one of us have been left in the world with an established purpose and priority. And at the end of functioning in that purpose and priority, there should always be glory given to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he lays out in verse 18 and verse 19 his credentials. And then he says, I know your works. Now, that should be an encouragement to you. That Jesus knows what you're doing. I mean, there's no way that Jesus does not see what you're doing. And what you're doing from him, he sees it. And if you dovetail it with Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, the Bible says that God will not forget our labor of love, which we've done in his name. And so Jesus not only knows everything, but Jesus will not forget one thing. And he starts off and says, listen, I know your works, your love, your service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. And so as he confronts them and saying, I know your works, he starts off by bringing to record, here are five areas and I know that you are, you are, you're serving me. And many of us will stop there and say, what's wrong? This church is serving Jesus. They got stuff going, they doing stuff in Jesus' name. What's the problem? The problem is that many times we're doing it for the wrong motive. You see, Jesus does not just see the things we're doing, but he looks past it and look at the motivation behind it. And so you can be busy, church. You can be a busy church member, and it means nothing to Jesus. You can be mechanical and proficient in your church business and not be impressing or pleasing Jesus for one moment. He said to this church, you got some things going on. I know your works. I know your love. I know your service. I know your faith. And I know your patience. But when I say that I know it, you must understand I know it from the inside out. When I look at what you do, I see your heart behind it. 
that I am not moved by the external performance. I'm more moved by the internal attitude. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 13, if you could jot that verse down, and 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, both of those verses, Jesus is making crystal clear that when I look at what you do for me and when I judge you at my beamer seat, or when I, beamer seat meaning I'm judging you for the quality of what you did for me, the text says he, he sees what sort it is. Verse 5 of the fourth chapter of 1 Corinthians, he talks about how looking, examining the counsels of the heart. What is the counsel of your heart about what you're doing? So when I say I know your works, Thyatira, when I know your works, I know the real deal. And all the stuff you're doing, I ask you this, was it for my glory? Yeah, 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 you're busy, but did you, were you busy to please me? Yeah, you're doing stuff, but, but did you do it in faith? Yes, 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 yes. I know you're doing stuff and I see it, I see it. But did you do it motivated by genuine love? When he says, I know your works, he says, I know it from the inside out. And you will be evaluated not on the externality of your performance, but the internal disposition of your spirituality that will determine the pleasure of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, having established that, he says... Not only uh, have I confronted you, but I also now have a problem and I need to condemn you. In other words, I'll give you the good news first. But what's coming is bad news. Now, that should not be a surprise to us because none of us are perfect. Any perfect Christians in here? So if you met Jesus and Jesus was talking to you, there would be no way that Jesus uh, could not know something about you that is not pleasing to him because all of us got something. Especially if our lives are not about just working externally, but it's also internal motive. It was also thought process, you know, words, action, what, uh, deeds, all that stuff. If you put all of it together, it's always something wrong. And so you ought to be encouraged that Jesus can take note of some good things that you do and call them good. He told him, I know your works and you're doing some good things. But nevertheless, you're not perfect. And so he confronts them about their sin. Now many people come to this passage and everybody knows about Jezebel. But I'm going to deal with her last because Jesus is laying out a fourfold condemnation. Sometimes people overlook the fact that he's addressing four different groups in these verses. Yes, Jezebel, he's going to deal with her. He's going to deal with her heart. But the first thing I want you to deal with is the fact that he is addressing the failure of leadership. You say, where is that? Listen, after saying, I know your works and talking about that. And, 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 and what you're doing recently is greater than what you did in the past. But he says, listen to this, a problem in your church is what you allow. This is what he says. He says, I have a few things against you because you, there it is, you allow. So if there are problems in Thyatira, it's because of what you allow. 
And sometimes the problem in your church is because of what we allow. The indictment is, yes, you're doing works, you're doing good church stuff, but I got a problem because you're allowing something that will cancel out, dilute all the good that you're doing. You allow. To the church, you allow. To the leaders of the church, you allow. The indictment against the leadership. Listen, you allow. That's why I am not pleased. You allow. That's why you have problems. Because you let something go on in your church and you would not confront it to the degree of the authority I've given you leaders. Why is Jezebel still there when you understand that you can kick her out? Why must I show up and deal with it personally when I've given you authority? You warned her and she wouldn't repent and she's still doing her sin. And what are you doing about it? You're still allowing it. And so the first indictment is what you allow. You allowed her to rise, number one. She climbed to the top. She claims the top, but I never called her. You've allowed this woman power and authority in my church, and I never called her. Her rise is real, but also she also has the audacity to resist your authority. You told her about the sin and she's still growing it. She is resisting you. She is refusing you. And here is the worst part is that she's now right under your nose reproducing children. She's building disciples to herself. That you allow this woman to stay there and she's an enemy to Jesus. She's an enemy to the church. And she is uh, 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 causing a, 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 a uh, what's the word I want? I want a defilement. And so on the outside, we see a church full of people, but when you see what Jesus sees, you see, the whole issue is seeing what Jesus sees. That's why Jesus is talking to him. You see, you need to see what I see. You need to know what I know. It may look good on the surface, but let me show you what I know. And to the leaders, the leaders should have not only been more discerning, but the leaders should also shown more courage. There is nothing more debilitating to a church than to have cowardly leaders who are afraid to confront evil, who are afraid to confront iniquity. If you are afraid to confront it in your house, how are you confronting it in the world? She has re reproduced, and God talks about her children. That Jezebel has made some disciples right under the noses of the church leadership. And I am convinced in 27 years, this church has known that experience in some way. Every church goes through that at some point in time where a demon spirit leading one of your popular members to draw sheep away from the house 
and reproduce disciples of that person which are not disciples of Jesus Christ. And so here it is. You've allowed her to rise. You've allowed her to resist. You've allowed her to refuse. And you've allowed her to reproduce. And then you allow her to remain. You let her stay and do her devilish ministry. And you have not accepted the fact that her ministry is against me. I know your works. Yes, yes, Jezebel's a problem, but let me first tell you that the leadership is a problem. And when I look at the text, he says, listen, you allow her to do this, and she has caused my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat sacrifice to idols. The leadership has failed to protect that which belongs to Jesus. Those are Jesus people. Jezebel has been allowed to deceive Jesus people and the leadership allows it. Why is Jesus so dissatisfied? Because they're not your people. They're my people. I put those people under your care and you let Jezebel cause them to sin against me. And now my servants, my people, listen, you didn't protect them. And now they are committing sins of immorality and idolatry. But they are my people. They are my people. So he addresses the leaders, what you allow. You see, when we looked at all of the good works that they were doing, and it will get comfortable for us to be a good working church. The problem is that sometimes a good working church is a complacent church. Sometimes a good functioning church is not watchful. That many times we are blinded by our own glorification and our own grandizement in our ministry. And we miss the fact that a church that is doing good is a church with a target on it. And if you don't take anything out of this message today, understand all of the things that make you good, all the things that make you a great church are also a call to enemies to destroy it. You can't put down your guards. You can't take your eyeglasses off. You cannot allow yourselves to become defenseless because it's good to you, but, but listen, trouble coming. There's a Jezebel who can show up here. There's a demon that can show up here and may already be here. And we're so busy working that we're not discerning. You see, Satan walks about as a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. The problem is he's not always walking around. Sometimes he's sitting in our pew. And in a worse scenario, not only is he sitting in the pew, but 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says the problem is that sometimes he's in the pulpit. It's in your Bible. And 2 Corinthians chapter 11, let me read it for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. This is what he says. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. 
Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. This woman called herself a prophetess, was operating with prophetess authority, teaching God's people and leading them away from Jesus. And he says, and you allow it. And so the indictment is the leaders, you allow the second thing he indicts is my servants who commit sexual immorality, which means that God's people do sin. And you are not above being deceived. You put your guard down. Many years ago, uh, a lot of years ago, a, a guy came to Genesis Bible Fellowship and knew some scriptures, but he had some weird doctrines. But by profession, he was a reflexologist. You know what that is, right? That's how people uh, treat disease and do all the stuff with the feet. They can read the body with the feet. And so he was an expert at that. And then one day, I look back in the back of the church, and I see a whole group of women with their shoes off. I'm not telling you a lie. I'm telling you the truth. They was, and one of them was sitting in a chair, and this guy was down there doing the stuff the reflexologists do with the feet. You know what I mean? Put some pressure points like that. But, he, but while he was doing all that, he was, he was spewing false doctrine to every woman who sat in that chair. And I confronted him one time. He didn't repent. I confronted him two times. He did not repent. The third time I said to him, listen, you can't come back here. We cannot allow you in this house with your doctrine. And if you come back, I got two big deacons. <laughs> on the door and we'll make sure you will not come in here. But the tragedy is I saw a group of people being lulled into this whole issue of his profession and not seeing that what he was doing was really trying to convert them with false doctrine. And Strong Tower was not above that. Not above that at all. And then Jesus offers a fourth indictment, and he talks about Jezebel's children. Now, it seems pretty harsh that Jesus would talk about killing her children. That seems pretty hard, right? But that's not the Jesus we want, is it? Tell the truth, you got a Jesus in a box. And as long as he comfortably fits my box, then I can worship him. But let him exercise the divine audacity to exercise authority that is his and to decide to kill someone. He said, I will kill her children. Now, he's not talking about her birth children. I mean, you could make a case that the sin of the woman is passed down to her children. You can make that case biblically. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about her children, meaning her disciples. Every one of her disciples, they're not my people. See, he, she's seducing my people, but she is breeding her disciples. And he says, I will kill them with death. Why? Because the sin was worthy of judgment. And as long as they refused to repent, there was no other action for them. The only option is to believe on Jesus. If you reject Jesus, there's no other option. 
If you don't ever want to repent when Jesus tells you to repent, that's just something about your spirit. There's no more faking. If Jesus says that you're sinning and you tell him he's alive, you got the problem. And so, nevertheless, I have something against you. Four quick things I would give you before I move on away from the leadership. And number one, when we talk about what you allow, you must understand that what you're allowing not only affects the fruitfulness of the church, it not only affects the fellowship of the church, but it affects the function of the church. That the church is malfunctioning at its core and there's corruption under the surface that's real to me. And yet you allow it. Number one, quickly, when you move even slightly away from the word, your church is going to have problems. You can't let, you can't let yourself move away from what Jesus said. That the order of the family, the order of the house is written out for us by Jesus. And when you just let a little thing happen, just a little thing, a little thing like leaven will spread. She showed up one day and then at some point in time she has a whole bunch of people following her. They didn't walk in with her, but she's leaving out with them. Secondly, let culture do not let culture define your ministry. Now, now, uh, you know, there's a whole lot of discussion and arguing about the role of the woman. She shouldn't be doing this and she shouldn't be doing that. In this church, she's doing it. Whatever it is, she's doing it. And whatever your position, are, position is, that's for another discussion. We're not dealing with that now. The issue is this, is that the issue of the woman and the church was first an issue in the world. And the issues of the world always end up ish issues in the church. And when you let culture in, culture will culturalize you so that you'll come to, uh, 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 um, what's the word I want? I have a brain lock here. Compromise. Your politics is not your authority, and nor is the culture that you are in your authority. Thirdly, when we tolerate any degree of darkness as normal, it will corrupt the church. Remember, we talk about what you allow. Just a little bit of darkness as norm should be all right. And the answer is no, because we ought to walk in the light as he is in the light. And then we can have some fellowship with one another. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses all of us from sin. The fourth thing about leadership before I move on is when the rules of ministry are determined by the devil, they will not bring Christ's glory. The whole purpose of this ministry and every ministry is to bring Christ's glory. And so it offers the fourfold indictment. Leaders, you got that right? Leaders, secondly, in this passage, there's the indictment against her children, her disciples. 
And then there's the indictment against his people who are now sinning openly in front of him. But the big problem that everyone zeroes in on right away is the fact that you let this woman, Jezebel, operate. Her name may not be Jezebel. I can't imagine a parent naming her daughter Jezebel <laughs> after the Jezebel in the Old Testament. That's almost like naming your son Judas. So he's really probably using that name because she represents to that church what Jezebel represented to Ahab and Israel. A foreigner who was an infiltrator who actually seduced the king and then she became the shot caller and he became the little puppy dog. You see, it is dangerous. The text tells us that this woman, Jezebel, is doing some work. She is, she is operating her own ministry and she's taking authority to herself and she calls herself a prophetess. And you allow it. You allow it. Now, I, I said, Lord, you know, this is a good church. This is what your pastor told me, you good people. I mean, he ought to know, right? Now, I know every church got demons, just not you, just not you. The, the demons in your church stayed away today, that's right, it's all. Here today are only the good, nice, spiritual people. But every church has demons and they must be checked when they actually show themselves in the personality of people. And so, if we see Jezebel as just being a gender problem, we miss the whole spirituality of the problem. Whatever you believe the role of the woman is, the Bible speaks on it. And you can take a position and deal with Jesus on it. The reality is that Jezebel in this text does not represent a gender conflict. It represents spiritual warfare. That Jezebel showing up here shows that your church is under attack. When that spirit rises up here, you're under attack. And it is not about flesh and blood. It's about a spirit. It's about demon spirits who are using people to carry out a demonic agenda. And if we're wrestling with the flesh, we miss the real war. Jesus was speaking to the issue from his perspective. He was speaking, to, speaking a spiritual perspective and people are operating in the flesh. A woman shouldn't do this and a woman ought to. No, the reality is it's a spirit problem. And you're allowing this demon spirit to operate in the church looking the other way, neglecting it or whatever you're doing, and she is making converts in your church. It's a spiritual problem. First, Jezebel represents an invisible spirit. The reason we miss Jezebel's is because we do not see it as a spiritual problem. We are afraid to acknowledge that demons may be sitting beside us. Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Peter rebuked him and says, no, you're not. And Jesus looked at him and says, get behind me. Have you ever recognized Satan? Something coming out of a person's mouth that you know to sound like the devil? 
that making sense to you? I know this is pretty serious and pretty heavy, but, but if, you, if church means playing games and you're in the wrong place, this is a battle of light and dark, death and life. The eternality of souls are at stake. And above it all is that the glory of Jesus is being denied because you allowed this woman to set up shop in your church. And so Jezebel is not a gender issue. I lost my time, man. What time is it? Isn't that clock supposed to be going down? I don't see, I see zeros. Am I past my time? I mean, you know, if I preach 40 minutes, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I, t- I told Chris, I said, man, I'm getting old. I forget things. I lose track of things. And I look at that clock and say, did it happen again? <laughs> A few things before I finish about Jezebel. Jezebel is a central focus. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants. Jezebel is a demon spirit motivated lady operating in the congregation. And it is not just a woman wanting usurp authority over men because men can have a Jezebel spirit on them too. The issue of the Jezebel spirit is about control. It's about authority. It's not about gender per se. It's really about demons wanting to control the work of Jesus. And so first, this spirit is invisible. You will not see the spirit. You will see the manifestations of it. The spirit is invisible. We see the works of the enemy, but not the enemy himself. Jesus has to tell us, you wrestle not with flesh and blood because we'll wrestle with flesh and blood every day. We'll fight each other, fight each other, and fight each other and not acknowledge that demons are in the midst of it. Is that we're afraid to talk about demons. When I was younger in the ministry, somebody would tell me, don't preach about the devil because he's going to come and get you. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty common, especially telling young ministers that. Like, listen, you know, when you preach about the devil, no, no, keep your sermon secret. Don't let the devil know you're preaching about him this Sunday because he's going to come and get you. <laughs> but God has not given us a spirit of fear. We need to expose, put the light on demon activity in our congregation. And we need to confront it and not become cowards. And so number one, this spirit is invisible. Secondly, this spirit is insubordinate. It does not want to go under the authority of the elders of that authoritarian. And so it gives itself a name, a title. I am a prophetess. 
And as a prophetess, I have authority to keep on sinning, and I have authority to even make my own converts and not even listen to the elders, and the elders allow it. And so it is invisible. It is insubordinate. Also, it is imitating. It imitates. You heard the most obvious one, uh, a wolf in sheep clothing. Looking like a, a sheep, but a wolf. You know, when somebody comes to you and tell you that they're such a nice person, you can trust me. You need to put them under severe scrutiny. Because the devil never comes to say, I'm the devil. The demon never shows up and says, I'm the demon. I, I am Mr. and Mrs. Demon, can we talk to you? They don't come like that. No, they come as wolves in sheep clothing in the congregation doing their business of devouring people in fellowships. The worst place, the most damage is done in the homes. I think you all have small groups. Expect a target. That's where the damage is done most often. Ask the Apostle Paul, where was the damage done to his ministry? In the home, silly wives, widows, Alexander Coppersmith, all that stuff was happening on a smaller scale. And demons want to cause Strong Tower to lose it's standing by subversively working underneath. And so while you're enjoying Pastor Chris, Sister Doreen, and while you're enjoying one another, you must understand that there's a target on you to destroy your ministry. And that is why we need to look at Scripture based on what Jesus says and not what some person tells us. It's what Jesus says. And so this spirit is invisible, the spirit is imitating, the spirit is insubordinate, but also the spirit is influencing. Why? The text says she is a teacher. And she also has the capability to seduce. Seduce. It means to bring under control. It means to deceive so that you give away control. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul said this, he says, he says, I am concerned that you will do exactly what Eve did. And what did Eve do? Eve talked too long to the devil, and then she went on her own path of thinking with the seed was already planted in her mind through the seduction of Satan. The serpent had seduced her mind. And then she took it from there and went on and, and went against God. And so the spirit is invisible, the spirit is imitating, the spirit is subordinate, and the spirit is influencing. Did you get all of that? You see, this spirit also comes to invade. It is an invasive spirit. And it invades with that term we use, passive-aggressive. Passive-aggressive. That is probably the most dangerous personality you can deal with. Because they kill you with softness. And they make your guard, you take your guard away because that person is so nice and yet they're trying to kill you. 
a passive-aggressive person. Demons are passive-aggressive. They come like your friend. They come like they want to be part of the fellowship. They come like they want to be good Christians, but in fact, they hate Christ. Hmm. And the last I word I will give you about the spirit of Jezebel is that it is an infiltrator. That it tries to infiltrate the church of Jesus Christ. Are you with me, everybody? And so he condemns the church about their truth or about the truth of their sin. It's not what you say, it's what I say. Sin is what I say, not what you say. If you confess your sins, you only say what he says. Man does not have the standard of righteousness. It is what God says. It's what Jesus says to his church and it's what Jesus says to you today. And I close on my third point. I can't believe I missed that clock, man. Let's go. I'll be on the plane tonight saying, how did I miss that clock? Because of her refusing to repent. Now listen to this, and I'm really going to be finished for real. I, I'm not even going to think about the clock right now, okay? That doesn't mess me up. I, I was really tuned in looking at that clock. You sure it was on? Was it on? <laughs> you, 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 you see, you laughing, but you don't know what a crisis I'm in right now. <laughs> if I miss 40 minutes like that, boy, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm gone. All right, anyway. Just give me a few more moments. So can you do that? Yes, All right. Don't, don't, don't look at your watch. Don't look at your watch. Um, don't frown your face up. Don't, 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 don't give me that look. Just, just make me think that I'm welcome and okay for, for 10 more minutes. Can you do me that? Amen. 10 more minutes. Thank you, thank you. Because I think it's a point here that you need to recognize. How far will Jesus go to clean his church up? Well, I will afflict Jezebel on her deathbed. I will kill her disciples. Is that the Jesus you know? Is that the Jesus you know? When the last time you thought about Jesus killing somebody? You ain't liking it, are you? Wait a minute. I'm, I'm just reading what the Bible says. And the reason Jesus did it is this. Verse 23, I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know, listen, that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. Why would Jesus publicly, publicly afflict her and publicly announce the murdering of her disciples? Why? So that everybody else can know that I'm not a Jesus to play with. No one expected Ananias and Sapphira to be, to be struck down, and they were. Why? Because they lied. Oh, why did that? That doesn't seem like a bad thing. Why? Because we lie all the time. But they lied to Jesus. They lied to the Lord, and the Lord just decided that enough is enough. And he says in our text, I gave her time to repent. The word kept coming, repent. The, the word kept coming, renounce your sin. And they would not, they refused Jesus. 
And Jesus said, enough is enough. How far would he go to cleanse his church? He takes people home all the time. He's had to clean some pulpits. He had to clean some deacon boards. He had to clean some trustee boards. Have you got that here? He had to clean the house. And the one way to clean the house is to take them out of this world. Uh, You may not like that kind of Jesus, but that's the Jesus in the Bible. And the reason that he has to do it is because they wouldn't do it. If you would exercise your authority in keeping your house clean, Jesus would not have to, to, to eliminate people in such a radical way. And that after 36 years in the ministry, I have had to deal with some hard people. And some people are intimidating, by the way. It, just because I'm a pastor does not mean you can't intimidate me. I just can't let you win. I go home a lot of times thinking about people who got strong personalities who won't listen to what I, uh, my leadership and, all, and they're doing stuff they want to do. And I say, I got to confront them. But I don't want to confront them, but I got to. Because if I don't, they'll be running the church. They'll be pastoring me. And so, Pastor Chris, you got to be tough. I know you got it, man. I mean, you come from Baltimore. I know he told you all that, didn't he? You all know he from Baltimore? Yeah, yeah, he was a little wannabe thug. No, he was, no, 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 he was a nice thug. He, was, he had some thug in him, but he was a nice thug. That's all I'm going to tell you. <laughs> he was a nice thug. Come from good family, right? Now, I don't think Doreen would like you if she would have known you was a street thug like that. You say, you say move on now. Well, see, you told me to take my time. See, see, if you would have kept me on purpose, 40 minutes, say what you got to say, sit down. But you said, go ahead. Huh? <laughs> well, that, you're not that anymore, right? Right? And you can't go there anymore, can you? That's right. <laughs> My last point, and this is it, for real. <laughs> Listen, I had planned for this to be a little more organized than it was, but it just sort of, when I, that clock messed me up. I woke up this morning thinking about the clock. You got to stay with 40 minutes. And then it just left. (laughs) Closing point, number three. Jesus comforts his church with the truth about their reward. Jesus shows mercy in this text, but he also gives them hope and encouragement that Those who are obedient, I will not put on you any more burden. The Christian life is a burden in itself. To walk as a Christian in the world is a burden. But he says, I will not put on any other burden because you have not followed the way of Jezebel. And he gives them four great rewards that that they can look forward to. And, And it's a lot there, so I will not take time. Except the number one, he says, 
I will give you my relief. I will give you my relief. I'll put no other burden on you. The same burdens of the faithful, we all have them. Faithful people have burdens. But he says, I will not put any other burden on you. Relief. Secondly, you can look forward to my return. I'm coming back. Now, you may want to debate with me about when he's coming back. I had somebody in my church want to debate with me about when he's coming back. You the pastor, don't you know when he's coming back? <laughs> you should be preaching to people when he's coming back. Now, how am I going to preach when Jesus comes back? And Jesus said, listen, you don't need to know it and you don't know it and you won't know it until I come. I can preach to you to keep looking for it, but I can't tell you when he's coming. But he tells them that, listen, I am coming. He says, hold fast what you have till I come. I am coming. Soon and very soon. He is coming. But thirdly, he talks to them about his rule, that one day is coming when I come back I will rule this earth in the millennial kingdom. I will rule it and you will rule with me. Now, I have to tell you, that's one of those things that I believe, but my brain can't get wrapped around it. I believe it because he said it, not because I can conceptualize the details of it. But he says that there'll be, we will rule. If we are faithful, if we are an overcomer, we'll rule with him. And lastly, his reward. His reward. And he talks about the morning star. We know that we're going to receive rewards for faithful service, but this seems to be more personal. That, that, the, that, that the reward, the morning star, is the fullness of him. That there's coming a day that your faith will be sight. And you will have the fullness of me in experience. That you will not just have see me and know me from a distance, but you will know me intimately in person. And the Bible tells us that it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know when we see him, we will see him as he is. And so that we're only in this church thing for a temporary period of time. One day, we're going to take this worship service and go up yonder. And, and listen, as nice as it was today, the music was great, the fellowship was great. But listen to this, it's going to get better. That one day, you and I, you and I will have a worship service with Jesus and there'll be no demons. There'll be no devil. And guess what? And there'll be no unsaved people. And then we will be changed so that our worship will be pure. And those of who can't sing will sing. He says... Hold what you fast, hold fast what you have till I come. So you celebrated today your 27th year, but you know it's not the end of the road. If Jesus doesn't come back, you got 27 more to go. Did you hear what I said? But you must do what the scripture says, and that is you must be alert for demon activity in your congregation. It's here. It's coming. 
You know, I, I can look out there and I don't see any Jezebels. So you all these nice smiley people. You're not Jezebels. But Jezebel is coming. And she's coming to destroy the work. Jezebel affected the fruitfulness and the function and the fellowship of a church. And if you think one moment that it will not happen to Strong Tower or happen to Genesis or happen to any other churches that are doing good things, listen, my good deed churches are the target for infiltration. I am pressed and I am burdened by the fact that the church has become so diluted, so weak, because we allow the culture to dictate our spirituality. We have to have inclusivism, we have to have tolerance, we have to have compromise so that we can get along with the world. And I ask you, is that the kind of church that you're going to be? The world won't like you for that. But is that the kind of church you're going to be? No, you can't be and please Jesus. You can't be and please Jesus. Did you get me over here on the right side? Come on, shake your head if you got me. Did you get me right there? Did you get me right there? How about there? How about there? This woman, just like her face. Look. You got me, right? Balcony, did you get what I said today? It's critical that you understand spiritual warfare is in your house and it's coming even stronger. So everything you celebrated today is in jeopardy if you will not be watchful for demon activity. Does that make sense to you? Let us all stand.